The gospel of salvation God has to us revealed. O Spirit, by your power, our faithfulness increase. Let us then turn to the gospel that has been revealed to us so that the Spirit working through the Word may increase our faithfulness. And we turn first to the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, we begin at verse 1 and we read to verse 4 of chapter 13. Now the Lord spoke to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and will dishonor those who... I I will bless those who bless you. I will... Sorry, I'll start again. I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of, to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So you are my, say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that this, she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? 
Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Let's also read a few verses from the New Testament, Hebrews 11. We'll read the verses 8 through to 12. Hebrews 11, and we begin reading at verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself conceived, received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So far from the reading of God's Word, let's turn to Lord's Day 7. In Manajong, you're up to Lord's Day 38 this week, but I have not yet prepared a sermon on Lord's Day 38, so we'll be preaching from Lord's Day 7 in connection with Genesis 12, being the most recent sermon that I prepared for West Albany. Let's um, read Lord's Day 7 together. Lord's Day 7, are all men then saved by Christ just as they perish through Adam? No. Only those are saved who by true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? True faith is assured knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time is a firm confidence that not only to others but also to me, God has granted the forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith the Holy Spirit works in my heart by the gospel. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary, and there follow the articles of the Christian faith as we have confessed together 
already this afternoon. The word of the Lord comes to us this afternoon, brothers and sisters, from Genesis chapter 12, as that is summarised for us in Lord's Day 7. We will be focusing mostly on, Lord, on Genesis chapter 12, and you will then benefit from having that open as we work through Genesis 12 and the first few verses of chapter 13. Beloved brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, our life is full of stories or experiences where we begin and where we end in the same place. We wake up and get out of our bed and we go through our day and we return to the same place at the end of the day. We go on holidays, we pull out of the driveway, we're gone for a number of weeks and we return to that same place that same driveway. We leave for work through the front door and we come home through that same front door at the end of the day. Or we leave home to go to school and we return to that home at the end of the day. So many things in our life begin and end at the same place. And perhaps sometimes you've wondered what is the point of it all when you begin and end in the same place. Sometimes life feels as if we're not making any progress at all. Well, our passage is really interesting because that is very much the story of Abram in our reading. This afternoon we pay special attention to the verse 8 through to verse 4 of chapter 13. And if you have your Bibles open, you'll see that Abraham, in verse 8 of chapter 12, begins and ends in the same place, chapter 13, verse 4. In chapter 12, verse 8, he has pitched his tent between Ai and Bethel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. And after that follows a famine, and he goes down to Egypt. But by the end of that, He returns to that same place between Bethel and Ai where we read in verse 4 of chapter 13 where he had made an altar at the first. And maybe Abram was wondering after all that, well, what was the point of that? I'm back where I started. Well, it was unlikely that Abram was in fact thinking that. In fact, he was perhaps thinking the opposite because Abram learned a really important lesson in the walk of the Christian life. A lesson that Israel learnt, a lesson that we learn as God's children. Lessons that we learn from where we begin and end at the same place. God teaches Abram as he teaches us to trust and rely on him. We see that in our scripture reading this afternoon and we can summarize that under the theme of the faithfulness of our heavenly father overcomes the unfaithfulness of the father of believers 
We can see that under the first point of the unfaithfulness of Abram and the second point, the faithfulness of our Father in heaven. So Abram begins at the beginning, at the start in verse 8, between Bethel and Ai, after leaving from Haran with Lot and his possessions. And there he builds an altar to the Lord. Altars were commonly built in the Old Testament. They were not always found in the temple or the tabernacle, but they were also solitary altars that could be built. Noah, for example, builds an altar after the flood. Abram has built more altars than just this one. Gideon also built an altar after he smashed down the altar of Baal. And Abram's altar was because God had appeared to him, as we read in verse 7, and there it is that he calls upon the name of the Lord. God appeared to Abram to reinforce his promises. In verses 1 through to 3, God He gives those beautiful promises to Abram, telling him to leave his father's house and going to a land that he does not know, and there the Lord will bless him. Verses 1 to 3. And in verse 7, God reinforces that promise once Abram comes to Canaan, where he builds an altar to the Lord. And altars in the Old Testament were places of remembrance. We read that in Exodus 20, verse 24. God instructed Israel to build an altar wherever he was to be remembered. Where I record my name, says God to his people Israel, and come to bless you, there you shall build an altar in remembrance of God's promises and his covenant with his people. But Abraham doesn't experience those promises right away, does he? He has come to a land that God had promised him. And yet we immediately read in verse 10 that there is a famine in the land. And maybe Abram doubts the promises of God. Maybe Abram says in his mind, well, what sort of land is this? Famine. How is this supposed to be a place of blessing for me and my children? Now we have the hindsight of looking back and knowing more of the gospel than Abram did. And we know that famines came directly from our Father's providence. This famine then should be understood as a test for Abram's faith, brothers and sisters. It came as a test and a trial for Abraham to depend and trust in the Lord. That those promises that he had just received were really true for Abram. And this famine was a test for Abram to to trust as promises of God. And this was not uncommon for God's relationship with his people. Think of Israel travelling through the wilderness. For example, in Exodus 13, they were tested with hunger and thirst. We read that they complained against the Lord. At least in Egypt, they sat by pots of meat and they ate bread and were full. And Moses has rather brought them into the wilderness to kill them and their children with hunger. And Moses, writing both Genesis and Exodus, he uses the same word there for hunger while Israel were in the wilderness and Abram's famine. People of Israel, like Abram, God's children, needed to learn to depend and trust that God would provide for them and fulfill his promises for them. Now, Genesis was written for Israel in the first place. 
It was a book that was for their instruction and their teaching, teaching them about their origins, where they come from, and who they were to be. And they should have thought to themselves, while in the wilderness, hey, this isn't new. Didn't our forefather Abram experience a famine while he was in Canaan, a place that we are going to now? What did he do about it? What did God do? And Israel would have learnt about this as Moses constructed the book of Genesis throughout Israel's journey through the wilderness, teaching them of God's law and revealing to them what God was revealing to Moses. And so they should have learned from Abram that God was teaching them to trust in him, to depend on him as he brought them to the land that he had promised to give to their forefathers. But sadly, Abram makes a mistake and Israel should also have learned from this too. He trusts in his own wits. That's truly really what Abram does here. He trusts in his own wits and conceives of his own plan that involves him leaving the land of promise, going down to Egypt, leaving the, the altar, a place of covenant remembrance, of covenant commemoration, leaving the land of promise. And even going so far as preparing to bargain and compromise with the world, with the Egyptians. And God's people today can be faced with similar situations, beloved, when life gets hard, when there's difficulties and challenges, when there are things that are certainly outside of our control, tests from our Father in heaven, trials, what do we do? We can be tempted like Abram to conceive of what we think is perhaps best or right, relying on our own opinions and thoughts and desires. But we learn from God in the story of Abram that doesn't go well for God's people, does it? As Abram put himself, his wife and his inheritance at risk because of his unfaithfulness. Abram decides to go down to Egypt and he says to Sarah, I know that you are a beautiful woman and when the Egyptians see you, they're going to kill me. They'll take you for themselves. So better for you to say that you are my sister because then it will go well for me and my life will be spared. Now, it's difficult to know the social and cultural reasons why Abram conjured this strategy. Many scholars have debated if this had something to do with the customs of that time. A plausible explanation is perhaps Abram was in a better position as the suitor of Sarai rather than her husband so that he had more influence over who she would marry. But as also perhaps in the back of Abram's mind, the custom of the bride price, that the bride's family would often receive large payments, large presents. So perhaps this was also on the mind of Abram, perhaps as a means of relieving himself of the, the famine. But the exact reason is unclear, but... Abram's intentions are revealed in the text. It says there three times, they will kill me, it will be well for me, and my life will be spared. Me, me, and me, was what Abram thought. So Abram was motivated by fear and by doubt rather than by faith. 
And there's a number of things to note so far here, brothers and sisters. Where did Abram's unfaithfulness begin? Where did it start? Did it start when he went down to Egypt? Or did it start when he started to conjure his, his little scheme? It's difficult to determine. Since Abram, he's not reprimanded in the passage for going down to Egypt because of the famine. A lesson to learn here is that when we, we start down a path that fails to trust the providence and the promises of God, whatever that looks like for our lives, we put ourselves on a dangerous path of relying and trusting on ourselves rather than on God, which can lead to even greater unfaithful decisions. Often it's not the first decision we make that's the most unfaithful or sinful, but it can become a slippery slope of greater unfaithfulness. We see that with Abram. Abram's sin really began against the first commandment. His lack of trust in God, in his promises, and rather relying on himself, looking to himself for the answer and the solution. Conjuring his own plan, the first commandment. But by the end of the story, Abram is not only guilty of breaking the first, but also the sixth and the seventh and the ninth. His lying and deception, putting his wife in a a very dangerous situation of potential sexual infidelity in the house of Pharaoh, putting his his wife's life at risk and himself through his lie, the sixth commandment, maybe even the fifth commandment about honouring the authorities. At the beginning, Abram breaks the first commandment with a fail to trust God by relying upon himself, but he spirals out of control until God intervenes, until God steps in. That's the gospel in this story here this afternoon. Consider also the result of Abram's unfaithfulness, brothers and sisters. One of the consequences that, of Abram's unfaithfulness is the very salvation, redemption that God had promised to Abram and through his descendants. It was going to be through Abram that the nations were going to be blessed. But how could that happen if Abram was compromising and making bargains with the Egyptians? What is going to happen to that antithesis that God had already set in Genesis chapter 3? The enmity between the the seed of the serpent and the the seed of the woman. How is the Messiah going to be born if Sarai is tucked away in Pharaoh's harem? Because a promise was going to come through Abram and Sarai as it would be shown later in the following chapters. Abram's unfaithfulness puts his own salvation, his own inheritance at risk and the very plan of God's redemption, those promises that God had just made to Abram in verses 1, 2 and 3 of chapter 12, that he'd be a blessing to the nations. And yet rather we see Abram trying to bless himself, trying to bless himself by conjuring his own strategy plan. Another of the consequences 
There may be a secondary in this case. The first being that redemptive historical, the seed of the woman. Another secondary consequence in here is just a life of Sarah, Abram's wife. We often read this passage through the lens of Abram, but what about reading this passage through the lens of Sarah? How do our sisters here feel about what Abram did? How would our sisters feel about their husbands making decisions like this for them? And brothers, that goes to show that husbands have a responsibility towards faithfulness. Also, for the sake of their wives, their families. Our decisions affect those around us, especially our wives. Something else we should see in this passage too is that Pharaoh and Egypt symbolize the world. They are part of the list, they are part of that list of nations in Genesis 10. Those nations that God had not made his covenant with, but with Abram and his seed. God didn't, Abram didn't trust God, so what was he left with? Well, he was left to face the world on his own. He was left with his wits against Pharaoh, against Egypt. All on his own. And brothers and sisters, that's often what we can be left with against a world when we're not looking and trusting and depending on God. The same is true for us. When we don't live by faith, then what do we live by? What are we left with? We're often left with our own wits and our own strength, our own ability, relying on ourselves against a world, against an evil one, against a sinful flesh and nature that is so much stronger than we are. And for believers today, unfaithfulness, failing to look and trust in God and walking with him, it's a dangerous and harmful situation to, and road to be on. Because we are so weak in ourselves. That's true for everyone, especially for the young people here today, this afternoon. There's times in your life when you are making big decisions. How important it is for you to also make those decisions in faith. Looking and trusting in the promises that God has made to you. That he will give you and provide for everything that you need. And so look and trust in him to lead and guide and direct you. Follow his word and what he has revealed to you. Make faithful decisions. Otherwise you will spiral out of control. Send yourself into a vicious cycle of unfaithfulness and ruin. Now does all this mean, beloved, that Abram was not a believer? No, it does not mean that he was not a believer. Abram had demonstrated his faith already. We saw that in verse 4 of chapter 12. God spoke and Abraham did. Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him in verse 4. And we read that also in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. So Abram was a believer. 
We need to see this as a child of God in a, a lapse of faith, beloved. Very early stage of Abram's faith. He stumbled. He tripped up. Because God was teaching him a lesson. Because the father of believers, he was not perfect. He didn't have it all figured out. He didn't have it all together. There were lessons that he needed to learn. Abram had to learn, as we confess in Lord's Day 7, that he had to accept as true that God had revealed to us in his words. And he had to have a firm confidence in the promises of the gospel that he received from God. So we see here a child of the Lord stumbling in his faith, in his walk with God. But thanks and praise to God that God was with him, beloved. God walked with him. We see that in our passage. What should not escape our attention is that the Lord, he allows for all of this to happen. He allows for it to unfold by his providence and by his wisdom. And and he intervenes at the right time. When he says enough is enough. And Abram begins, we see... And ends at the same place in verses 8 of chapter 12 and verse 4 of chapter 13. He begins with the Lord and he ends with the Lord. We see that because the name Yahweh is mentioned at the beginning at the end in verse 8. In verse 7, at the end of verse 8, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Verse 4, and there he called upon the name of the Lord. So the Lord is there at the beginning, the Lord is there at the end, but he's also there in the very midst of it. Look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh. Right in the middle of that passage, we see the Lord. His name appears once again. He afflicted Pharaoh's house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And there the Lord intervenes in a demonstration of his faithfulness. He will deliver his servants. He will rescue him from the predicament that he had plunged himself into. And restore him back to the inheritance that he had promised to give to him and fulfill for him. We see that especially in our second point, considering the faithfulness of our Father in heaven. Now for the moment, Abram's unfaithfulness seems to bear some fruit. He receives sheep and oxen and male donkeys and female servants and camels. And maybe that's because sometimes unfaithfulness can temporarily work out beloved. For a temporary time, our own opinions and thoughts and plans or schemes or our allegiances with the world, sometimes they seem to be better. But sooner or later, they do backfire. It is not the way. Although for a time, it may feel that it is right. It may feel that it is, in fact, going in our favour, but it does spiral out of control and lead to ruin destroy people's lives and the Lord intervenes he sends a plague on the house of Pharaoh I'm not sure exactly how Pharaoh knew that it was because of Sarah Abram's lie that the plague had come upon him what is clear is that Abram is left with guilt and shame and embarrassment by the end of it and that's not so clear in the English but it is clear in the Hebrew and often God's people are left with guilt and shame and embarrassment because of unfaithfulness And yet despite Abram's unfaithfulness, brothers and sisters, we see the Lord's faithfulness here. In fact, we see that the Lord even blesses Abram. He blesses Abram. Even in Abram's unfaithfulness, 
The Lord blesses him. We see that Abram leaves from Egypt very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. How are we to understand that, beloved? The only way to understand that is by knowing that God is a God of grace and mercy and compassion and knowing in whom he has fulfilled his promises. The promises in the days of Abram had not yet been fulfilled, but God was bringing them to fulfilment in Jesus Christ. Through the seed of the woman. God preserves his promise of the seed of the woman through which the Messiah would be born in through whom the one that we will be filled with blessing. The Lord's Supper puts this very beautifully. The Lord's Supper form. By all this he has taken our curse upon himself that he might fill us with his blessing. Isn't that beautiful? Rather than covenant curse and death, blessing and life, where we should be suffering under the curse of God because of our unfaithfulness and our disobedience, the Lord Jesus, he took that upon himself so that he might fill us with his blessing. And we see that right here in this passage with Abram. God fills Abram with blessing. Abram leaves Egypt richer than when he came. He delivers his servants and he also defends and safeguards the honour and dignity of Sarah, his wife. It's a beautiful symbol here of God being the bridegroom of his church. God is often called the husband of his people in Israel, in the Old Testament. And we see a beautiful picture of that here in, in Genesis 12. Abram, failing to be the faithful husband and protector and provider of his wife, we see God defending, safeguarding Sarai. But a beautiful picture there of the church, brothers and sisters, preserving the seed of the woman, preserving the church, already in the Old Testament, safeguarding his people, being faithful to his promises. By the end of the passage, God returns Abram to where he started, back to the altar that symbolised covenant confirmation in remembrance of God's promises, that God would care for him, that God had indeed given his promises and that he would fulfil them. God was teaching him a lesson to trust in him, not to rely on himself, as God fulfilled the promises for Abram. And God was bringing Israel to that same promised land, brothers and sisters. And Abram's story is really the story of Israel and the story (coughs) of us all. Israel started in Canaan with Jacob and Jacob's family by moving down to Egypt and after 400 years returning to the land of promise. And we've received those promises of the inheritance that Israel received in Canaan. We've received those promises in the gospel. Those glorious promises summarised in the Apostles' Creed that we could confess this afternoon. Those promises that... And so we've received the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so, brothers and sisters, we can move forward also knowing that by the Spirit who goes with us, goes with the church and goes with God's people, he will also give us the strength to also persevere. He will preserve his people and you through trials and struggles. At the beginning of the sermon, it was mentioned. That altars are a place of covenant confirmation and remembrance. And those sacrifices on the altar, they pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That made it possible for us to have that communion with God. Abram had that communion with God too, through the altar. The altar that pointed to the cross. The cross where we received the benefits of Jesus Christ. And one thing that can't be overlooked in all of this, brothers and sisters, is the importance of prayer. Notice at the beginning of our reading, in verse 8, Abram, he builds an altar and calls upon the name of the Lord. And at the end, he returns to that place and he calls upon the name of the Lord. When we start our day, we don't know what opportunities will be presented. We start and end with prayer. But not only that, throughout the day in prayer, having received then also the Spirit of God, the Spirit who in our hearts causes us to call out and say, Abba, Father, help me make faithful decisions for my life, to walk with you by faith, knowing that I cannot bless myself, but you bless me in Christ and you will bless me as you have promised and you will fulfill all those promises in me, for me, by your son. And so brothers and sisters, don't just begin and end in prayer, saturate it in prayer, all of it, every moment of day, walk with him in communion with him because you have that communion through the spirit with God. Now, our life is full of stories or experiences where we begin and end in the same place, beloved. Between where we start and where we end, it's opportunities to trust and depend on God. When you step out of that door to go to work and when you come back, there's going to be opportunities. When you go to school, when you leave home and come back, or if you get out of bed in the morning and busy yourself in in the home, Opportunities to trust and depend on God. (coughs) And returning to that same bed at the end of the day. Reflecting. Reflecting on that day. Seeing the faithfulness of God that he did provide. He gave me everything I needed. And also reflecting on our own response to God and his faithfulness. And when there are mistakes made, confess those, repent from those and trust that he will forgive you in Christ and walk with you as he walked with Abram. Where we begin and where we end, let that be done in prayer to his praise and to his glory as he brings his people to the end, to the new heavens and to the new, to your 
glorious inheritance that he has given you and promised you in Christ and who will certainly, by his power and by his spirit, cause you to preserve and persevere for his glory and for his praise and for your blessing. Amen.